This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you know you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, unlike the Owls, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So there's only one thing left to say, what's everybody having? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means you'll get some tasty rewards later on. And between you and me, if you order just before kickoff, you can get it just in time for half time. But I've not told you that. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery free and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. See you later. And welcome to the fourth in, well, what was supposed to be an occasional series of Financial Fair Play podcasts, which has actually become a fairly regular series of Financial Fair Play podcasts. Uh, I'm James Marriott from the Wednesday week. As ever, I am sat in my kitchen in Sheffield. Uh, James Allen from Owls Americast is normally joining us from the sunny climes of uh, of New York, but um, you're actually about a mile up the road from me at the moment, James. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm joining you from the uh, the climbs of Ringelow Road, uh, so sort of um, about a mile above Sheffield on the basis of the way my calves feel after jogging back up there after borrowing a microphone from you, James. Um, so thank you for the uh, supreme audio collection that we're working on this evening. It's uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun talking into my iPhone. It's great. You, you miss out the fact though, that I lent you a microphone that is only compatible with Macs, but didn't check with you whether or not you're actually going to be using a Mac. And of course you're not, so it didn't work. So um, there we go. Uh, the idea was right. Um, you've just come back from Spain, where has it been the hottest week ever in Europe or something? Uh, literally uh, the hottest week ever recorded uh, in Spain. Now, Pete, Pete, I know you're a statistician, so I was trying to get some information on this. Was it actually the hottest temperature ever recorded in Spain or the hottest continuous average temperature over seven days or the lowest minimum temperature over seven days? Apparently, it was just chuffing hot, which I can attest to because I'm about a third of the body weight I was when I went out there a week ago, just on the basis of pure sweat exerted. Brilliant. Um, so Peter Loban is joining us from uh, Denmark. Where has it hit kind of forty odd degrees in Denmark yet? No, we've uh, we've reverted to uh, to uh, what we call summer in Denmark, which is pretty much autumn everywhere else. So it's it's been raining all day, and uh, it's about fourteen degrees Celsius now. So it feels uh, feels better. So now we complain about uh, the rain all the time. 
considering we've had summer for about one and a half months of uh, bright sunshine and now we get to complain about the rain again, which feels good. Exactly the same here. It's done nothing but rain pretty much all day. It's been a very wet, windy Sunday in um, in Sheffield. Um, right then, so we are here to talk about the finances in the wonderful world of Sheffield Wednesday. And of course, it's been quite a, a busy week all in all, which is why we're back together doing the, um, the, the fourth in our specials on this subject. Um, so Monday was the fans forum at Hillsborough. And probably no great surprise that it was confirmed that we're in uh, a, a transfer embargo of some sort and have been since April. This was kind of, you know, fitted in with all the kind of predictions and whatnot that we'd uh, made. I was a little surprised about the fact that this is since April. What what were your kind of your your reactions to that? Peter, what did you think? Well, it's, if you look at the EFL regulations, it does state that the uh, the accounts for, for for the current year and, and the two following years have to be in um, by the end of March, uh, March thirty uh, first. So, um, I mean, uh, as soon as the EFL has had received our accounts and our projections for the next couple of years, they would have slammed uh, an, an embargo on us, or at least uh, refused to register any new players for us. So that pretty much tells you that we. We're probably at that point quite far away from from satisfying the uh, the limit of, uh, of of the three year running losses that uh, that we had at that time, um, and and I guess the, the period since has been spent trying to convince the EFL that we will be working towards reducing that uh, in the current season, um, so that by the end of the, the current season, we'll be uh, we'll be within the uh, the allowed loss of uh, thirty nine million pounds for for the last three seasons. James, obviously, with you being away on holiday, you, you weren't on the Isles of Mary cast this week. So this is kind of the first chance that you've had to sort of react to what was talked about at the fans forum on, on Monday. What what was your take? Was there anything that particularly surprised you? Well, I, I think I was probably actually a little bit more surprised by the fact the embargo goes back to April than, than maybe Peter is. I mean, I think, you know, as we found out over the course of these episodes, Pete, Peter knows the regulations inside out and probably had an even greater expectation. I think, to be honest, we all knew we were sailing close to the wind this summer, but we thought maybe that there was, you know, work ongoing to position us such that we would be able to trade. It, it just tells you that we've, you know, we, we've actually, we're in a worse situation than even I think we predicted, you know, three, four months ago when we started these conversations. Um, and that, you know, that that's, quite galling and concerning, you know, not least because of what we're seeing as a result of the lack of squad turnover, at least on the inward sense that we're able to get to. What I think probably surprised me most, though, was the commentary in terms of what happens next summer. Um, so, you know, I think as we'll get into the conversation just now, you know, a lot of people were kind of left scratching their heads about a few comments that were made about just the stakes that we're in in terms of, you know, not, not so much what we do now while we're under embargo, but what could happen to us if we aren't able to sort out our football finances over the next 12 months when we come into next summer um, and the stakes that Mr. Chancery positioned in terms of, uh, you know, if we if we don't get promoted this year, well, you know, we could talk about the footballing side and, and probably the evidence is there that we may not get promoted this year. Um, the stakes are extremely high when it comes to, to what may happen in terms of our ability to um, to renew the squad in 12 months time, let alone this summer. Yeah, obviously there was there was a, a, a lot talked about on um, on on Monday, but but very little in terms of the specifics, which is why we kind of thought, you know, it was right for us to get back together and try and figure out 
maybe what wasn't said on Monday, but kind of what we need to know. So you, you mentioned there about um, looking forward to next summer um, and the the language used by Mr. Chancery when he was talking about this w- was some of the most explicit language that is used because in, in the past, whenever I've been to steering group meetings or fans forums, he's tended to play down financial fair play and said, oh, it'll be fine, you know, we'll sort things out. Um, this was the first time he kind of said, you know, if, if we don't get promoted this season, we're in big trouble. Uh, he didn't kind of go into any detail about what that really is, which, you know, I know something we're going to talk about and try and figure out what those possible scenarios are going to be. Um, but uh, did, did either of you two particularly pick up on that, the fact that there seemed to be a, a marked change in the uh, in the language used by um, the chairman when he was when he was talking about this? I think you have to, to separate the reality from communication here. Um, I think... Chen Siri wanted this fans forum um, as a way of um, creating a wake-up call for for Winchester fans um, and wanting to control what was said about uh, the situation we're in. And and there's a clear strategic um, advantage to to playing up the uh, uh, the scope of what might happen in the summer for him because if we think that we're essentially gonna <laughs> all gonna die. Um, uh, in, in the summer, then, then uh, some of the decisions that we have to make uh, uh, regarding players being sold and so on will probably go down a lot easier with uh, with fans. Uh, whereas if he if he said that we'll sort it out and then he sells players and, and people are left with the uh, the impression from the fans form that he he wouldn't, uh, then he would be in a lot more trouble. So if you if you play up the uh, the scope of what might happen uh, and then it ends up being probably less than that, it's it's usually. Uh, Usually a better situation, uh, and it's it's often seen in politics as well. Actually, uh, I, I work in the, I work in the public sector, and every time we have to make big cuts, uh, the politicians will usually go out and say, "Oh, the cuts are going to be like 500 million," and then they end up being 300 million. Everyone pretends it's like we 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 didn't have to save any money anyway because uh, uh, the the net feel of it or the relative feel of it is is we 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 uh, we we didn't have to save the 200 million. It's not that we are saving 300 million. So I think it's kind of the same with Wednesday here. It's it's um, it's Tensiri trying to uh, to to like shake some uh, some realism into us as a as a fan base, um, and I think he realizes there are no easy ways around it now. Um, whereas before he might have thought um, that he could uh, channel mon- money into the club uh, in other ways um, and 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 have that allowed, but. Maybe what's happened since uh, March has been the the EFL refusing some of the um, the revenue streams that that Chen Siri has tried to create um, from from his own uh, family funds and all that, um, and that might have been the reason he's he's changed his uh, his tone of uh, voice as well in this. Peter, can we um, can we just pick up on that? So there's, there's two points that I want to kind of address there, and I'm going to come to the the question of revenue first, and then James, I'm going to circle back to your question in terms of surprise around Mr. Chancery's comments themselves. So you know, when we've done these analyses in the past, and Peter, we've talked about the numbers that you've produced. You know, the assessment here is on the the accumulated loss over three years. In other words, the adjusted loss for financial fair play based on the accounting loss, but with certain provisions. When we've looked at this, we've always assumed that there was a proportion of our revenue which was allowable on the basis of what's called fair market value. In other words, assessing that, you know, sponsorships, stand sponsorships, shirt sponsorships, um, you know, the other ways in which uh, revenue is brought into the club, uh, possibly an own branded football shirt, for example, um, were going to be accepted on the basis of FMV, fair market value. Uh, it, 
it's come to light over the last few weeks that the EFL have been particularly hard on looking at sources of revenue that come from associated part, parties, so owners, family members, uh, related business interests, etc. Is what you're saying there, Peter, that you, you suspect that our revenue line has probably been squeezed in the EFL assessment and that's probably led to a harsher than perhaps the club anticipated uh, loss on the, the rolling basis? Yeah, I think that could be the case. It's probably not going to be. It's it's not going to be the the story that breaks the the camel's back. Um, I don't think the amount is going to be big enough, but it closes down um, an avenue for Chancery to. Reach. I mean, if if they, it was allowed, um, he could probably try to increase that uh, revenue stream in in the future, and then he he could he could see a, a way out of this. But if they clamp down on it uh, on the accounts that we've already handed in and and the accounts for for, for last season. Uh, he knows that he can't boost it, um, and he's going to struggle to to find any other uh, revenue streams uh, that he can boost easily for for this season. Uh, especially considering the the, the uh, average tens is is probably going to go down this season. Um, so as, I think that's part of the, the um, part of the, the the reason. But I think the main reason is is uh, is the the loss we we we, we were having uh, regardless. I mean, even if the the revenue streams were allowed, we would still we would still be in quite considerable problems. So it, it might have increased for problems for about twenty percent, but the uh, the big part of the problem was already there, uh, even with the Chen series um, um, fake revenue streams or whatever you want to call it, adjusted revenue streams. Um, I mean, look, I mean, you know, quick just quick, quick statement here of kind of the obvious. It, the real problem here is that there is a limit. Well, whether you call it a problem in fairness or a problem in the way the regulations work, there is a significant limit on how much one owner can pump into their own club. So. You know, Mr. Chancery wants to put more money in, but the regulations are preventing him from doing that. Whether that's through straightforward cash injection, shareholder, um, you know, uh, raising new share options, etc., uh, or whether it's through other means, i.e., sponsoring the shares, etc., that there's a, a real clampdown on that. I, I guess what, what where you're hitting though, Peter, is that you know the the real problem is that massive loss that we made in 2016, 2017. So we know accounting-wise that was close to 20 million. When it's adjusted downwards, it's a number somewhere between probably 50 and 50 and 20. I, I guess, James, coming back to your original question, the thing that really surprised me about the comments on Monday night was that it's probable that we are close to that figure again in 2017-18 because, frankly, not much changed. You know, we, we probably hit about the same in terms of revenue maximisation and we probably didn't change the cost base significantly. In fact, the only cost base changes that have, have probably been realised have been through the last few weeks of the window where Jordan Rhodes has gone off the books, Jack Hunt has gone off the books. We won't feel the impact of that until the 18-19 accounts. But even with those two shifted, you know, it's a couple of million off. It's not the 10 million off that we'd need to fall inside the, the 39 million over three years. But we're already in breach over two seasons as it stands. So what really kind of alerted me to his then comment that you're you're talking about, James, where he, you know, he said that things could be really stark next summer is the reality is we are probably going to be well in excess of breach next summer. Um, and that means that we will be under embargo for several windows unless we make some very material changes to to the revenue that we're bringing into the club. Um, and that could lead us to having to not only sell off players, but not being allowed to re-sign players. Um, and if you look at the number of out-of-contract players next summer, that's a really daunting prospect when you then think that your hands are tied to try and replace them. Yeah, Definitely. Peter, you picked up on um, something that was that was said on Monday that didn't really make sense to you, which was um, with regards to while we're under this 
embargo of, 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 of whatever sort. Uh, Mr Chancery mentioned that the club are unable to extend the contracts of existing players until literally the point that their contract has run out. Um, now, you, you, you were kind of suggesting you weren't really sure whether or not that was correct or that was right. Yeah, the, the reason I, I picked up on it is because the the old FFP rules that were in place before sixteen seventeen, uh, they had like they, they they quite clearly stated what happened when the club was placed under transfer embargo. But of course, after after the uh, the the profitability and sustainability rules um, from from sixteen seventeen, uh, that were put in place then, um, there aren't there aren't like a standard um, sanction when you when you break the uh, the, the the allowed loss. Uh, there are all sorts of sanctions. And one of them actually is that the the, uh, the EFL board. I can't remember the the, uh, the exact line, but it's something like the EFL uh, board can uh, dis- disciplinary commission can can decide uh, whatever sanction uh, for however long and in whatever shape or form they want to. So I mean, there's there's no there's nothing stopping them from telling us we can't re-sign players until the contracts are up. What that tells us, though, if that is the case, and, and I mean, I have, I have no reason to, to doubt that it's the case, if, if that's what uh, Chancery and uh, Katrin Mayer is, uh, is, is saying at the fans forum. But if that is the case, that is uh, an escalation of, um, of, of the sanctions towards us. And it's, the way I, I uh, analyze it anyway, it's, uh, it's quite a worrying sign because that tells you the EFL does not trust us to, to reduce our costs um, effectively. And wants us to uh, to shift a lot of the players we have uh, out of contract next summer, which includes uh, Barry Bannon and, and Lucas Shaw, for instance. Um, so it's and Gary Hooper as well. Uh, so it, it's for me that's that's really a worry because that that tells you the EFL still does not trust us to to raise enough money or, or reduce our costs enough to to stay within the limit. Um, and and the last numbers I did, uh, our three-year loss at the end of this season, the current season, will be around 50, 51 million, and we allowed 39 million. So we're about 11, 12 million away from uh, from from hitting the number we need to hit. Um, and I mean, we saw the transfer window. We raised about maybe 2.6 uh, million uh, with the two transfer deals, and then we saved some wages as well. But it's not. It's not going to be. It's not going to be enough. Uh, and and I mean, it's it's quite another worry that uh, Kieran Westwood wasn't sold uh, permanently uh, before the the permanent transfer window closed, um, because he was. It's quite clear that he's. Uh, as we were actually touching on all, all the way back in in January, February, when we did the first podcast, he's probably one of the most. Uh, um, I think it's it's. it's Probably the best option to move him on, uh, and it, it seems like the club does uh, agree with that. Um, and and the fact that we can't didn't move him on for for transfer price um, is quite a worry because um, I can't really see how we're going to raise uh, raise twelve million pounds uh, before the end of the season. It's important to remember though, um, next summer when we do transfers next summer, all the way up to the end of July, we can do transfers that will count towards uh, this current season. So it's not like when the season fin- when the uh, when the season finishes and we haven't sold enough players that they'll, they'll put the hammer down on us from the from the EFL. We'll actually be able to to do trades during the next summer to be able to raise that amount. But it's a hell of a bad situation to be in because every club around the country and and, and abroad will know we need to raise some money. So obviously they'll offer us a pittance uh, for some of the players we yeah. think are, are, are really saleable, like Forest Jerry, for instance. Uh, instead of uh, getting a good value value for for our players, and and we'll probably also struggle to uh, 
Teresa and some of the players. I mean, someone like Barry Bannon, he'd be, he'd, I mean, he's, it, it's very admirable that he, he said he wants to, to finish his career with us and then get a new contract. But if, I mean, if I was in his shoes and I had, uh, I wanted to look at my career, I'd, I'd probably uh, take the free transfer somewhere else and and, um, and and play in a team that can play for promotion because he's good enough for that. So that's that's really why, what I get from it. I mean, I've, I've, at, at, the, at the time when it was said, I was I was puzzled by it, but then I looked a bit into the the regulations, and, and actually they they are quite quite potentially quite far-reaching uh, and a lot more far-reaching than than if if you just glance at them, if you need to re- read a bit between the lines, really. Um, and the EFL can pretty much do to us what they want to. Uh, the 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 idea that we are an independent business uh, running independently is is really a bit of a of a smokescreen, um, to be honest. So, Pete, that, that's interesting, Pete, because the analogy I used, and don't take this too literally, is that you know we're kind of like a business that's been put into receivership, right? Yeah. So we're, we are no longer the our our board, our executive team is no longer trusted to run the business as a going concern. We've been put in the hand of a set of receivers, accountants, basically, to to make sure that the creditors get paid. Um, now. The really difficult part about this, and that you know where it really gets to the bone, is Sheffield Wednesday Football Club is a loss-making enterprise, but most football clubs are. So mm-hmm. let, let's not let's cast not cast us as an exception here. Nope. Sheffield Wednesday Football Club has fallen afoul of the financial rules that have been set by the custodians of the league that determine whether or not you can participate. So we are only in default by the judgment of the English Football League, but because they are essentially the be all and say all of the of the organisation of the, you know of participating in the championship, we are now forced to be, you know, to to large extent run by their decisions, um, and and we lose a lot of control, uh, and those unfortunately are the rules. Um, it's it, it's a shocking situation to be in because we are perfectly financially capable of underwriting our own operations of you know uh, Mr. Chancery considering continuing to put in his own money. Um, and fund future transfers to replace those that you know we want to move on. But that's the situation that we we have to accept: is the league are going to take a very very high level of control and approval over our decisions over the next twelve eighteen months. Okay, I think at this point is where um, I, I need to drop in our usual disclaimer about the fact that none of us particularly uh, claim to be experts on this subject, but um, we spend a lot of time talking about it between ourselves we um peter particularly spends a lot of time looking at at figures and and doing very complicated sums on spreadsheets that make no sense to me but somehow a figure comes out of the uh out of the other end Uh, so far as well we've generally been fairly fairly close to to getting most things right in terms of the numbers and how things are likely to um to pan out now i mention all that because I think this is a good opportunity for, for us to kind of have a, a bit of a think about, let's say, the next 12 months and what scenarios there are that, that could play out. Now, dealing with the, the here and now, um, we suspect, although you know we've not got any uh, anything official on it, we suspect that the we, we weren't uh, we didn't have the transfer embargo removed before the end of the transfer window. The the noises on Monday were that the chairman and the chief exec were were confident that that would happen before the end of the transfer window, but it didn't. Um, there's obviously still a chance that it might happen before the end of August, which allows loan moves and other things to become a a, a possibility. Um, the next real key thing 
thing though here is 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 January, isn't it? Because that's when you know we're likely to know what kind of a season that we're having. So if Mr. Chancery, as as he suggested on Monday, is kind of pinning his hopes on promotion this season, uh, and that gets us out of this great great hole, which would be wonderful and absolutely all the conversations that we've had become completely irrelevant because they just won't matter anymore. Um, in January, obviously, we'll we'll kind of have a bit of an idea as to whether or not it's likely to be a promotion season and I think as we've all agreed let's not um, debate the likelihood or otherwise of that too much on this podcast although certainly on the basis of Saturday I think um, you know in my head I've got a fair idea as to what kind of a season this is going to be Um, let's say that promotion is not looking likely in January um, Peter, do you think that this kind of idea of a of a flash sale of our, uh, you know three or four of our big name players going is 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 that a possibility? Is that even a likelihood in January? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, the good thing about the January window is um, you have a lot of more lot clubs, a lot of clubs who are more desperate for players um, and know where they're lacking. Some some will be struggling with them um, with. Uh, uh, like in relegation battle when, when they didn't expect to and uh, some of them will uh, will probably uh, be chasing promotion or be chasing championships or be chasing European places in, in the Premier League and so on and 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 that all that adds up to uh, that there's an analysis done by by some 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 quite uh, quite good people who've who, who've sussed out that it's about 10 15 percent more in transfer in transfer fees in in the January window than in the summer window. So that works in our favour, you could say. But take, for instance, Fernando Forestieri. Um, his contract is up in the summer of 2020. So in January, he'll be have, have uh, a year and a half left on his, his contract. If we want to sell him, and if you don't do it January, if you sell him in the summer, next summer, instead, um, you'll probably get a lot less for him because he'll have a year left on his contract. As we saw with uh, Jack Conn, for instance, uh, that reduces the value quite significantly. And as we saw with Kieran Westwood, there's probably likely to be quite a few clubs who think, uh, well, we don't need him now, so we might as well wait a season and get him for free. Um, but let's say we, we let's say we are in about 14th, 13th place, um, way off the, the playoffs <clears throat> in January, and Forestieri scored 10 goals in, in the first part of the season. And been and been our standout player, which is already looking quite likely. Um, that will increase his value. So it's it could be that selling him solves pretty much the problem, um, depending on the transfer we get. Of course, as I said before, it's between eleven and twelve million pounds we need to raise. So if we sell him for say eight million pounds, that's uh, and his wages goes off the books as well. That's about nine and a half million um, we we save. Um, so. Uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um, and the problem, the further problem really is if some of the players um, that we need to renew the contract of, uh, I mentioned again, we got Gary Hooper, we got Barry Bannon, Lucas Shaw, Kieran Lee, they all have contracts that are running out um, in the summer. And they have six months left of their deals in January. Do, do If you can't offer them a new contract because you're under the transfer embargo and you're under the, um, under the under the specific ruling from the EFL that you cannot re-sign players' contracts before they uh, they run out. Well, I mean, do you do you bet the house that Barry Bannon uh, is true to his word and and signs a new contract uh, in the summer, um, or do you move him on for? Probably quite a small fee, but you still get a fee from it, and I mean it doesn't it doesn't affect your season because if you're 
12th or if you're 16th and you're quite safe from relegation and you're far away from the playoffs, it doesn't really matter. You're mid-table. Um, so it might, it might, if he leaves in the summer anyway, it might be better to move him on then, uh, which is a really horrible thing to say because um, we'd all love uh, Barry Valens to, to, uh, to continue to be a Wednesday player. And the same, obviously, for Forrest Jerry, but these are the options we're pushed into. We're pushed into a corner um, and we're not going to talk our way out of it, uh, that's for sure. Uh, that's been become quite clear for I think a lot of Wednesday fans had a wake up call at the fans forum um, and and it's I feel like a bit like one of those guys who predicted the financial crisis um, because it's, it's like a vindication because we sort of predicted this stuff uh, on the podcast but it just feels really shitty being right in this situation <laughs> It's, it's that's a that's a fair point. Um, one of the, I mean, on on the last podcast that that we did talking about this, one of the things that that we discussed and talked about uh, was Fernando Forestieri, um, particularly thinking about whether or not learning him out would be uh, a sensible option. And I think fair to say that's a, an opinion that really divided fans. We, you know, we we got a fair bit of stick for suggesting that as a as a possible route out of this. Um, and again, there where we talk about how we get ourselves out of the, the hole that we're currently in, it was the first name that, that obviously you mentioned, Peter, and it's a name that, that comes to mind a lot. Um, you know, we're reminded of the fact that, um, you know, he obviously was probably man of the match on Saturday against Hull. Um, scored a great goal at, um, at Wigan as well the uh, the week before. It's a really motive subject for, for fans. Is is there a way out of this that doesn't involve us looking at, at, at selling Fernando Forestieri? James, what do you think? Do we have much in the way of other assets that, that can, can get us out of what is clearly a, a, a difficult situation without having to lose our star player? Well, there is an obvious way out, and it's called get promoted this season. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, let's take that option. We'll do that. We Sorted. Could, uh, Great. We, we could devote an entire podcast to how... Um, oh, I think you probably did uh, in midweek. Uh, I think our guys did as well. I mean, listen, it's, uh, the reality is, you know, Fessy is the one player that we have who is probably a, you know, a box office revenue earner in, in the sense both of, you know, being a big signing for another club and a big revenue generator for us if we sold him. We get into a, a one equals, I don't know, two plus, you know, two, two or three parts if you start looking at other players to acquire the same sort of uh, income, you know, from, from transfer uh, revenue coming inwards. So, uh, you know, Adam Reach is an obvious example, you know, I think would easily generate the same amount of money that we paid for him. Um, and I know that's a contested figure, but, you know, his performances last season, I think he proved himself to be a very reliable championship performer. And, you know, maybe we bring in five, six million maybe in, in a good market. You know, he's certainly under a longer term contract as well, which helps. Um, you know, you look at some of the youngsters as well. You know, I, there is a bit of a, a theory beginning to build in my mind that part of the way in which the club is approaching the goalkeeping situation is thinking, you know, can we can we put a couple of these goalkeepers in the shop window and, you know, because of the premium they have on their age, will that help us when it comes to, to having to, to think about tradability? You know, could a, a Jordan Thornley or an Ash Baker having an outstanding season? Certainly they, they look better than the incumbents in left and wing, right wing back respectively on Saturday. You know, could they become saleable assets? You know, this isn't a nice conversation to have, but it, it's, you're looking at two or three of those players to match up to, to losing a Forestieri, to be perfectly honest. Okay, um, Peter, how how do you genuinely think this is going to play out? Because uh, clearly the next 12 months are going to be 12 months of change in, in some way or another. A lot of players who are coming to the end of their contract, 
Um, let's say that you know we we do decide that we're going to let those contracts run out. We're going to let those players move on somewhere else. We, we've got to therefore bring in enough money to also be able to rebuild the the, the squad. Um, is 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 that going to be an easy sort of process, or you know, is I guess what I'm getting at is once we've got this twelve months out of the way, is it plain sailing from here on in, or can you see uh, a you know a turbulent future ahead after that? Well, if you look at the figures, which is my preferred way to do to approach this uh, situation, um, if you don't if we don't do anything, if you just let the contracts run out. It's gonna it's gonna uh, bring down the costs uh, remarkably. It's about more than ten million pounds in saved wages um, from this season, eighteen nineteen, to next season, nineteen twenty. It also leaves us with seventeen players, um, seven or eight of which are youngsters uh, at the moment, um, or on youth contracts anyway. And you'll have the absence of Barry Bannon, obviously, and uh, and uh, and Shao and and Gary Hoop and and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, if you look at the losses in um, for the last uh, for, of, sorry for the last season, uh, it's probably going as James said, it's probably going to be around the same figure as uh, 16, 17, which adjusted for for the allowed expenses we we have. Uh, it's uh, in in the uh, profitability and sustainability world, it's probably going to be around 18 million as well. Now this current season, 18, 19, um, our losses uh, in my calculation anyway is going to be around 50 million. Um, so if you add those two together, uh, and you add 1920 um, on uh, as a third season, um, you're allowed to make a loss of 39 million for those three seasons. In my calculations, 1920 is going to give us a loss of three million, even with all those players leaving uh, and getting off the wage bill. It's, it's still going to be uh, be a loss of around three million. So what we have over, we have a, you have to imagine now we have a squad of 17 players, eight of around eight of which are a young uh, youth players. Uh, Ash Baker, Thornley, etc., but still um, inexperienced youth players uh, at the moment. And what you have over under the uh, under the FFP limit uh, is about four million pounds, and that is that's the money we have to spend on new players in 1920. This is all providing that we can get to spend that money because if we don't do anything about this, we just say, well, screw the EFL. Um, they're telling us to, to reduce our costs but for, uh, to the tune of uh, 12 million and, and, and raise some trans funds. We're not going to do that. We're just going to see, see how it pans out. They put us on a transfer embargo. We can't actually sign those players to replace the players that are leaving this summer uh, um, at the, uh, the end of their contracts. Um, so you, you, might, you might be able to, to, uh, to sign some players, but if the EFL is not going to register them, you can't play them in the championship. Um, so it's... It's not really a scenario, as I see it, to just say to hell with it. It's, we're not going to do anything. Um, so I think it's a, it's a it's a fair assessment, as you said before, um, that Chancery is probably at the moment trying to wait it out until January. Um, and if we are, as I and by listening to you two, you agree, uh, we're unlikely to be anywhere close to the playoffs uh, come January. Um, I think Chancery will have to have his hand forced even if he doesn't want to and he has to break up the squad um, and sell what he can uh, to try and and, uh, and be in a situation next summer 1920 um, for the for the 1920 season where we can actually build a team that 
Um, at that point, it'll, it, if we don't do anything, we, we'll, we'll be having a team where we might struggle to stay in the league. So we'll, we'll have to sell players to be able to, to actually make a decent team for 1920 uh, that can perhaps sneak into the playoffs. Um, but this is not, I, I don't foresee this to be a situation that is just uh, gone in the season. It, it'll take a few years rebuilding because the players we, we, especially because we don't have a lot of money to spend on players, we'll have to, to be smart in the transfer market. And if you look at some of the clubs in the Championship this season, they're signing a lot of players from League One, League Two, even non-league players, even down in the uh, in the seventh tier, uh, eighth tier, and whatever. We're not really. We, we I think we're looking at. Them. We have trialists from the, from those uh, divisions, um, but we really have to to um, to increase our scouting and and get smart in the transfer market because um, a lot of the signings we made, probably about two thirds of the signings we made since Chancery came in, haven't been uh, a profit-generating uh, move. And, and no, football isn't about making a profit, and Wednesday's history tells you that. But you need to be able to have a flow of players. So you buy a player at an earlier point in his career, keep him for two, three years, let him build his value, maybe even double it, then you sell him on. And then you buy a new, younger player for, for low fee, but build him up as well. Essentially, that is Brentford's entire business model, and they do it really, really well. And we don't have to do it as well as they do, but... I can't see any any way around it um, other than doing it that way because that's the only revenue stream we could really build um, because Chancery can't spend any more money, but the revenue stream we can build is is buying players um, at a low value and then selling them at a, at a high value, uh, essentially playing the market, you could say. I mean, to be he- fair, Peter, we, uh, we, we, we did sign Morgan Fox from League One. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry, I, I had to introduce a moment of levity. Um you know, I, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think we've gone the long way round of really explaining that the one statement from Monday night that gave us all, you know, hairs on the back of our necks and made the whole fan base stand up, which was, you know, if we don't get promoted this year, we will be in real trouble next season. You've just outlined why we'll be in real trouble next season, because we'll be struggling to put together a squad that can compete in the championship in 1920 under the current trajectory. But the other part of the statement, which I find fascinating, is that if we don't get promoted, our chairman still believes this is a squad capable of getting promoted. He believes in the players that were signed. And, you know, if we are utterly ruthless in our assessment, we've spent a lot of money and we've had some very questionable returns on that investment. You know, if you if you were looking at this as a, a portfolio manager, looking at the investment choices that somebody had made, you, you wouldn't be re-employing them, certainly wouldn't be reinvesting your funds because we haven't brought those players that can be moved on at, at a higher uh, profit. We haven't brought the high-priced players who have then delivered on the football field. We've brought a lot of players who've spent a lot of time sitting on the sidelines and players who've made a, you know, a middling contribution. And, and that is why we, we are where we are. You know, that's where the cost is going. Okay, um, uh, th- this is kind of you know speculative stuff, but um, uh, I-, I suppose this question for you, Peter. Really, how long do you think it's going to be before we are you know back at the table in terms of signing players and building a new squad? Because it isn't as simple as we sort it out in the summer and that's it, everything's fine again. It's going to be a while, isn't it? At what point do you think that we will you know find ourselves in a place whereby we're really competing again? Well, I think if you if if we get to a situation, uh, say say the the scenario that plays out is we sell Forestieri in January and and pretty much close the hole and and satisfy the EFL and the EFL then says okay you can re-sign players now for for contract because if we do sell Forestieri, um, then that 12 million uh, that we're missing and say we close that hole that 12 million goes into uh, 
to the pot for the uh, for the 1920 season. So we actually have a quite a lot of money to re-sign the players who want to re-sign Bannon and Shao, um, especially. But we also have quite a lot of money over to to actually spend on players. So what I'm trying to get at here is if you choose the inaction route, which is what Chanchiri is saying now, and he's 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 uh, hammering his uh, his hopes to to the master promotion. If you, if you go that route. You're re- essentially saying that next season is is a write-off or a likely relegation scenario, uh, fight scenario. Um, whereas if you go the route where you rebuild in January, raise the funds you need, and then set yourself up for 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 a decent summer where you can where you can sign a new squad and uh, and get some young players in, um, young hungry players in that that will be on a lot lower wages than the uh, the uh, Premier League outcasts we've been uh, been been uh, prolific in uh, signing in the, in the last couple of seasons. If you do that, then then I think we we'd actually be in a good position for even for 1920. But it all it all uh, rotates around the uh, the choice of uh, of having to um, to trade in as it as it were uh, one star player for for a team essentially. And I mean, as good as Forrestieri is, he isn't worth more than the team, and he isn't worth more than Wednesday's uh, Championship status, is he? So if we if let's say we we do move Forrestieri on in January and. We do get a decent fee for him, and we do pretty much make the whole go away. This is the, this is definitely the optimistic scenario. There are lots of caveats to it that that means it might, probably might not work. But let's just go play with the idea. Then then if we uh, if we do move um, if we do move um, him on and, and we, um, we 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 spend this money wisely in the summer, we might have a season next season where we will be close to the playoffs and, and the young players will be developing really well. And then for the start of the 2021 season, we'll be uh, we'll be seeing. Um, quite a strong team because we've actually built the team ourselves and there'll be a good understanding between them and if, if needs be if we want to sign a star player we can move some of our, our young players uh, on as well Okay, um, I mean there is one other potential scenario that would um, completely get us, uh, get us out of jail free um, as unlikely as it, as it may be but it was discussed on Monday the idea of the fact that the club are really trying to push to actually change the rules um, James, what, what do you make of this? So, so um, Katri Mier was, was talking about the fact that they tried to get support from the rest of the league um, to, to change the current rules about profit and sustainability. Uh, obviously, it, it didn't, it didn't um, gather the amount of support that it needed to, to, to go through. Can you see that ever happening? You know, do, do you think, I think it's 18 out of the clubs in the league that would need support uh, the idea of, of, of changing the rules. At the moment, obviously, there aren't because there's enough clubs that still believe that the current system suits them. Can you see a, a point whereby that might change? Um, in a word, James, uh, no. Um, unfortunately not. Um, <laughs> I mean, and, and for the simple reason being that, you know, for that magic number of 18 to be hit, you've got to have enough enough clubs who have been outside the big time and basically been either on the verge or in Wednesday's situation to vote with you. The difficulty is the championship has a significant number of clubs now who are recent or very recent ex-Premier League clubs who are enjoying parachute placements. And, you know, quite frankly, voting to abolish FFP or profit and sustainability as it stands now would undermine their competitive advantage. You know, they would they would suddenly be faced with a lot of high spending peers in the division who could match their their ability in the transfer market with the uh, the Premier League riches they come down with. And I just think it's very unlikely to see that bolus of clubs, you know, some of which came down the last couple of seasons. But there's plenty like Villa who've been knocking around here for now two, three years who who see that as their ticket back to the Premier League. 
Um, the other part, and Peter might be better placed to comment on this from a regulatory point of view, is whether it is true to say that only the you know the championship clubs get to vote on this because obviously profit and sustainability affects the whole EFL. In other words, the rest of you know the three leagues below the Premier League. So I'm not absolutely certain that the statement that it would just take the 18 championship clubs to come on side is accurate. Um, but I certainly don't see it happening in a window that uh, that would benefit us uh, going into next summer. No, I, I agree with the uh, with the assessment, and, and and I was a bit puzzled about the 18 out of 24 as well because. The way I read it, and I mean, it's, it's, I'm just a layman here. I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm, I'm not, ex- I'm not a, <laughs> apart from not being an accountant, I'm not a lawyer either. So I don't actually know um, whether this is true or not. But it looks like it's the 72 who decide these, thing, these things. But it might be that the uh, the 18 clubs needed from the championship is just to put the motion forward for all the EFL clubs to, to vote on. Um, but uh, just to try to be positive on this, um, I mean. Uh, profitability and sustainability was put in place in 1617. It actually replaced FFP, which was uh, a lot stricter. So there, there is a precedent uh, for the uh, the um, the rules being uh, a lot less harsh than they are now, because before uh, 1617, you you were only allowed a loss of eight million pounds a season. There was no three season role or anything uh, and that was obviously increased to 13 uh, million per season which is then added up to the uh, to the 39 million for three years um so i mean there is a precedent and and you could actually see in this season we have quite a high number number of clubs that are going for it and um i mean forest is one Leeds is another um you have the clubs coming down from the premier league uh, also going for it um and and there, if if either Forest or Leeds do succeed, uh, it'll probably um, it'll probably embolden other clubs to try this route as well because um, it it's it might be the magic way to the Premier League uh, and land of riches. So so that that could be and that that number of, of clubs struggling in the same situation as us and Birmingham uh, at the moment could increase over over time. And it might also be that the EFL and actually the EPL uh, get involved as well because the only reason this uh, the only reason we aren't really struggling financially is we get seven million pounds a year from the uh, from the premier league as a solidarity payment uh, uh, quite an ironic name but it's 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 a third of our revenue we get from the premier league um as a sort of uh, well in Denmark we call it a shut up sweet which is a, a, a giant piece of hard candy that you put in the mouth of kids to to make them shut up and that's essentially what the uh, premier league is giving us um and and as long as the premier league has that on us so to speak uh, the premier league is going to be it's going to have a, a, a sort of a, like an invisible hand uh, to play in the uh, in the EFL's uh, regulations because obviously if the EFL vote in a in a way that puts the uh, the, the clubs uh, relegated from the Premier League at disadvantage, the the, uh, the Premier League might say, well, if that's what you're going to do, then um, screw your solidarity payments. You can you can uh, you can pay for yourself, and then then half, uh, a third of our revenue goes away. Um, and 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 obviously the owners will then have to stump up that cash, uh, even in a situation where where um, there aren't any regulations uh, telling you how much you can lose. So I mean, I'm th- I'm trying to be positive. I'm trying to think that we might actually be able to change this um, uh, th- these regulations. And and one obvious way to do it, and and this is just this is probably fairytale land. But if the the obvious way to do it for me would be to say that the um, parachute payment payments do not count towards the revenue under. Um, FFP or, or PNS, so you take that 41 million pounds away, which is the the money they get the first year they after they relegate it, and even then, um, 
uh, most of these clubs coming down from the Premier League won't, str- won't struggle uh, financially. They, they'll still be within the limit because they allowed higher losses as it, as it is uh, compared to us. I mean, Stoke, after the season, they allowed a loss over three years of £83 million. Pounds. Our allowed loss is £39 million. Pounds. And they get the £41 million pounds from the Premier League as revenue on top of that. So, I mean, it's 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 it, it would be an obvious way for the EFL to 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 try to level the playing field and try to to um, to improve the uh, the standing for for the majority of clubs and not just the uh, the rich minority uh, of uh, former Premier League clubs. Okay, well, um, the other thing that we're doing in this episode of our um, series of financial fair play specials is we uh, specifically ask people for their questions, and you know we, we kind of we we started this as an idea of kind of doing a bit of a uh, a kind of a uh, kind of a myth buster sort of idea of, of of some of the perceptions people have got, but we thought, well, let's let's stick it out there, let's people um, send us their questions now. I think some of these are probably things that we've slightly touched upon um, in, in in the things that we've 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 talked about, but some really good questions that have um, that have come in. I'm, I'm going to start with one uh, that's come from um, Richard, who is um, Cardington Owl, um, who says, and this is quite a long one, but bear, bear with me here. So, is there anything in the in in the current rules that would prevent Mr. Chancery from buying, let's say, a, a second or third tier European club as a feeder club? Then that club buys a couple of our star players for market value. Uh, it puts you know money into our accounts and then subsequently loans them back to Sheffield Wednesday. So you would think you know everyone wins there. Mr. Chancery keeps his kind of prize playing assets as do Sheffield Wednesday uh, we stay within FFP and the feeder club would obviously get some investment uh, from uh, a new owner as well allowing it to compete in its respective league um, what what are your thoughts P- Peter this is probably one for, for you in the first instance from a, a kind of a, a legal point of view would, would that work is that allowed or are there already things to stop that happening um, again I'm not a legal expert, but I wouldn't think it would be allowed because uh, it, would, it would it would still be seen as a as a related party uh, investment, and and uh, even if you do it at market value, you'd you'd probably have the EFL seeing this as a as an obvious uh, loophole for the clubs to use as well. So they'd, they'd probably be quite harsh on it. And and again, the regulations in the EFL give them quite a large scope for for. Um, for interpreting what they consider to be fair market value and and what they consider to be uh, to to be revenue that they they want to recognise or not, so they could they could easily just say that that sort of revenue uh, we won't have that. And and you saw you saw Watford when they went up um, that they I wouldn't say it's it's not similar, but they 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 had the same owners. I think it was Udinese in Granada uh, in Spain maybe. And what they did there were they loaned players from those clubs. Um, who were obviously at a higher a higher level at that point, and then Watford, and then loaned him to Watford, and, and Watford got uh, got promoted, and and that was before they they had a uh, um, there wasn't a maximum of, of loans you were allowed to make at that point, which is 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 in place now, um, and the EFLs moved on that you could say, uh, and and saw that this was an obvious way of uh, getting around the rules, um, so I think they'll be quite quick to. Uh, to move uh, on this one, and 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 they, they've sussed now that they can't uh, they can't wait to react and put new rules in place, and then those who, who've uh, 
who've made the loophole uh, get out of free, uh, jail free. They, they've they've done they've made the system uh, um, the way now that that if you if you do something like this, they can still hit you with the the rules book and and um, and, and and put you in trouble. So, I, I wouldn't find it likely, to be honest. It's the short answer. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Um, James, I'm going to put this one to um, to you. Uh, this comes from Rich for Peru. Um, and a couple of questions here. Firstly, uh, or secondly, actually, the second question was, have the club been in touch with us to challenge the figures that we've used on these podcasts? Well, no, we've had no contact from the, uh, from, from the club, which I suggest is kind of a nod that we've probably not been too far off the mark because I think if we were making uh, claims that were miles off then we probably would hear from the uh, from the club uh, but his other question do you think that Mr Chansiri uh, will consider like a legal challenge here can you see him trying to take the EFL to court um, could he claim that this is a constraint on trade um do I think he would consider it? Yes. Do I think that he would actually execute on it? And do I think we would be successful? No. And, and for, for the simple reason that, you know, ultimately, we, it's, we, we participate in a competition, right? Um, we choose to compete in the English Football League and the English Football League are free to set the rules of that competition. So profit and sustainability is part of the rule set of, of participating in the championship. So it's difficult to say that the the way that that is constructed is illegal or, or something that could be challenged in court although certainly the, the interpretation thereof can be challenged and that's why it took so long to to issue qpr with a fine for, for their breach of the old ffp rule several years ago the, the only kind of out of this is the point that he makes about constraint on trade because sheffield wednesday is a limited company you know we we obviously have to file accounts with companies house on an annual basis and we you know we have to be at least viable as a going concern which is why each year there's a statement in the accounts to the effect that the owner has committed to continuing to put up the funds to make sure that Wednesday is viable, even though we are loss making. Um, if he felt that the the club was being unfairly treated relative to other clubs in the competition, and that was having an impact on our trading performance, he possibly could make a case. But it would be very costly. Um, it would be a test case, and frankly, you know, it would be very very unlikely to be heard in court um, in a period that would help us anyway. So I, I think that's unlikely. It would it would be much better probably to work with the EFL, as Peter said earlier, to try and uh, evolve and amend the regulations. Okay, Peter, this is uh, actually a question that I've, I've heard a few people kind of talk about, and not just specifically this particular club, but a few others as well. Uh, so from James Chapman, how can Leeds appear to keep on spending? And it's not just Leeds, I think a few other clubs that people find it strange that they, you know, are Derby may be an example of a, a club that's perceived to just kind of spend and spend and spend and spend. How does that work? Uh, player trading. Um if you don't do a Wednesday and sign a lot of players, you can't follow the money that you can't sell for any money. You are able to do it. I mean, if you look at Derby, are obviously uh, in trouble as well, but they're actually a lot better off than, than we are because they've, they've moved on a considerable number of players uh, over the last couple of years, um, and, and that has uh, improved their finances no end. And if you look at the players they have now, uh, they obviously have a lot of uh, old players like, like we do, but they also have a lot of... Um, quite a few of uh, young, good young players under contract as well. Uh, and they've also managed to bring in some loan players that are really good. So, that, so they're, they're playing the system. And Derby as well are fiddling with uh, like weird uh, legal constructions of companies and what have you to, to try and get around uh, some, of the, uh, some of the rules, which isn't successful, by the way. But, but they're trying to do that as well. 
Um, so Derby, uh, before this uh, this close season, I'd say they're probably uh, on the on the verge of, of bre- breaching uh, FFP or profitability and sustainability. Um, but then obviously they they both sold players and sign players. So if you sell a player for a fee uh, and you sign a player for the same fee, um, then it's going to make no difference to you to your accounts. Um, actually, it's going to improve your accounts because if you sign a player on a five-year contract, for instance, a young player, if you sign him for five million, he's only going to count because of amortization. He's going to, only going to count uh, as, a, as an expense of one million pounds in, in the first year of your, your accounts. So you make a you actually make a four million pound profit in in, in that case. Um, so that's essentially why Derby uh, just 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 about get out of jail uh, this summer. Uh, and I think they will probably have been in touch with the EFL as well, but. Have proven before that they can sell players and 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 they have uh, saleable assets in in their team, uh, young younger players that that could uh, later on play in the in the Premier League maybe and and fetch large fees. So that's probably why the EFL said, okay, Derby, you you're good to go. Leeds is another case. Uh, Leeds have done essentially what um, what Wolves did uh, the season before. They've had three years, 14, 15, 15, 16, 16, 17, of just about making uh, um, a profit, or I think they lost about a combined one million for those three years. So while we made a, a loss for three years, including this season of 50 million pounds, Leeds' loss is around one million pound, which means they've got 38 million pounds of allowable spend this season. Um, so, and, and I mean, obviously, if, if they spend, uh, if they make a loss of 38 million pounds this season uh, and don't go up, uh, they they could be in trouble next season um, unless they sell players again, um, which is essentially what Wolves did. They bought players that they could es- essentially see as, uh, as as very saleable assets. Uh, I mean, Nevis was uh, if if they didn't go up, Nevis could could be sold for let, let's say thirty million pounds, and 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 they'd they'd have no problem um, um, with their FFP or, or PNS uh, even if they they weren't promoted. Leeds is the same. They've, they've, I mean, this is the boom and bust cycle we've been talking about before. That that teams, in in quotation marks, save up for a few seasons and and keep the ship tight and sell off uh, players to to uh, to turn a small profit and then go for it in one season and use the entire three season allowed limit of uh, 39 million pounds losses in one single season. Um, that's the Wolves model, and uh, and Leeds is is probably trying to do that as well. But you also have to remember Leeds and Derby are both uh, both clubs with a higher revenue than we have, uh, even um, without selling players. They have a higher um, average attendance. They have a lot higher commercial revenue. So, so they are bigger clubs uh, financially and probably bigger clubs um, full, full stop um, over the last 10 years anyway. Which is really controversial, but if you look at it, hang on, uh, hang on, Peter. Hang if on, you look at gonna, if you look at it, if you interrupt your flow there, that, that's going <laughs> to upset a lot of people. That's a highly controversial statement. Yeah, it's it's just the it's just the numbers, man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let me throw a couple of numbers back at you because you know I, I think this is a question, James, that, that is worth spending time on because there's nothing worse than the green-eyed monster, right? When you're sat as a Wednesday fan, seeing all this happening to you, and you're seeing clubs up and down the road, you know, seemingly on the path to success. You know, look at the players that those two clubs have sold over the last 12, 18 months. You know, so Leeds sold Chris Wood to Burnley for what, 12, 12 million, something like that. Uh, Charlie Taylor, you know, big, big fee as well. Um, Lee, uh, Derby just this summer, they sold, you know, Vidra to Burnley. Yeah, Burnley have done both of these clubs pretty well, right? Uh, seven and a half million. Before that, you know, last summer they sold Tom Inns to Huddersfield. 
Wednesday nights just simply have to say when's the last player that we can remember selling for more than a few million pounds um, you know and that's where the difference in a lot of the profit and loss accounts on a year to year basis come the other thing and this is something we don't talk about a lot is where those clubs are situated you know quite frankly they're situated in bigger centres of commerce and that attracts revenue you know the, there's more there's more wealth in the area which means they can bring you know more money into the club just naturally through through commercial revenues but also there's a lot more commercial activity which means they can they can push up the revenue line through you know corporate entertainment through corporate sponsorships corporate relationships etc you know those are the things that Wednesday have to develop if we want to build to to compete at the same level we've got to sell players for big money and we've got to try and develop sources of revenue outside of the Chancery family James on that I'm I'm going to um, ask you a question here that comes from John Guest um, some of this is is kind of a, a question about kind of legal constraints, but I guess some of it relates to what you've just been talking about there. So John says, what options are open to us um, and the likelihood of raising income from property assets? So we're talking stadium, training ground. So he was thinking stuff like um, naming rights, conference facilities, a gym facility, um, you know, maybe maybe building a hotel, which was an idea that was seemed to be muted a few years ago and then never kind of went anywhere. We've we've kind of covered a little bit on 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 the idea of um, stadium naming rights uh, on the Wednesday week during, during during this week, where we kind of said you know it's something that that can happen, but if if Huddersfield's stadium um, naming rights is is three hundred thousand pounds a year, and they're in the Premier League, you can kind of see the kind of numbers that we're looking at, and when we're talking about you know ten to fifteen million pounds that that we need to be bringing in, that's probably very little impact. But what what about the other stuff? What do you think? I mean, the, the simple reaction is, and, and this is something I've been on my hobby horse now for a number of years. On there is an enormous amount more that the club could do. Um, you know, I don't think the answer, frankly, is in things like naming rights for the reasons you've outlined. You know, fair market value will quickly catch up on that on, on us with that. But there's an enormous amount more you can do if you establish the right relationship with your fan base and if you establish the right relationship with uh, corporate partners, and particularly if you can tap into fan bases outside of your immediate area. So I'll take that each of those in turn. You know, this fan base is remarkably loyal and has been put through the ringer over the last 18 months, two years, but as you know, as consistently said, we want to put our money in, we just need the right vehicles to do it. That isn't by charging top dollar for everything, it's by finding ways of, of helping people spend 20, 30 pounds, not 90, 100, 1,000 pounds. So, so let's think about what we can do with the you know, the loyal 30,000 or so in, in the area, and you know, a significant more probably who don't come to every match day. You know, the question of corporate partners is huge. Um, you know, the, the club has to find ways to tap into hospitality, into entertaining. It has to make the stadium a source of revenue, you know, 365 days a year. And that simply isn't happening in Hillsborough at the moment. So there's an enormous amount more they could do there. And, and a lot about that is about the Wednesday brand and why people would want to spend time in a Sheffield Wednesday environment. Um, and then the third part, and this is the piece that's probably closest to my heart, because obviously, what, you know, where I live and, and the, the people I associate with over back in America, you have to try and build fan bases and sources of income that come from outside your immediate fan base. So, you know, a lot of other clubs and, and Leeds are doing this very well, by the way, at the moment, really striking big partnerships with, with American sports ventures, investors, sports teams, the 49ers included. Um, you know, you, you, you try and find ways of striking those associations and pulling fans in from those areas. You know, we obviously have a, a fan base in Thailand. 
my understanding is that you know because of other clubs that are represented there we've been you know biding our time because of the you know the, the hope of, of a Premier League uh, platform to build that out but we can't wait around we, we have to try and do those type of things because unless we significantly boost our income levels um, under the current environment we're going to continue to run up against these problems. Okay, I'm going to give a quick mention here to a couple of people. So Alex Watson and also Monty, who is up in uh, Glasgow, who've asked us questions that I think we've already kind of covered. And as we're a little bit tight on time, um, I'm going to skip to the final question from Jarvo. Now, this is um, maybe slightly tongue-in-cheek, although actually something that comes up quite a bit. So um, uh, Peter, whether this is a possibility or not, I guess, can we just cut Abdi and get him off the wage bill? Just get rid of him. Just sack him. Can we not do that? Yeah, if you if you got kicked out of your job and you had a contract that said you you were supposed to get all the wages in the contract, uh, I don't think you'd be happy uh, just being kicked out. So, uh, <clears throat> so we probably have to wait till the summer to uh, to let his contract run out and uh, let him leave. But I'm still hopeful we can loan him out. But but no, it's not going to make a big difference, um, unfortunately. <laughs> this, this is where you need to be in America. You're going to have higher at will policies, right? If only, if only Wednesday could hire a fire up, I'd be This is going to turn into a bad crime show, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe uh, once we've left the EU, all employment law goes out the window. We can just sack as many places as we want. It won't matter anymore, will it? Oh, that's true. On a Tory Britain, it's probably probably likely that a few years, years down the line, you can just uh, enslave them instead and not pay them. <laughs> what we'll do is we'll stick uh, Abdi on one of the turnstiles. Oh, yeah, definitely. We'll pay him, what? Maybe six, seven pound now or something like that. Yeah, that would make a huge saving. Um, so, guys, I mean, that's that. They're all the questions that we had in. Is there, is there anything else that, that either of you two particularly wanted to get across? Well, I have one thing, uh, and just as, it's, it's sort of like a coattail to what James was saying before. Um, I think the problem we've had in the last three years under Chen Shiri, um is he's built a squad, but he's failed to build a club. Um, and this club really need, needs building, not rebuilding, but, but proper building. There isn't the infrastructure there for a club that would... I mean, even we, if we got to the Premier League, the infrastructure of this club, as, uh, if you remember Sam Hodgson being asked uh, about uh, whether things were right at the club and he had that giant pause of maybe a minute, that's really telling that even the players can see that this club is not at the level where you would considered a Premier League club off the off the pitch. There are several clubs in the Championship where you would consider them Premier League clubs off the pitch, but we are not there yet. So if you're in for the long haul, that's the thing you need to get right. And that's not just about the revenue streams, that's also about building the infrastructure, having the scouting there, having the, the academy there uh, at, a, at a decent enough standard that you you can actually uh, sustainably uh, stay in the, in the Premier League um, for, for a number of years once you get there. Okay, as, as is often the case when people listen back to these podcasts, they have a load of questions off the back of them. Um, I know, Peter, you are excellent at answering people's um, questions. So do you want to give us a quick plug for your Twitter if there's anyone that has anything that's you know nagging away at the back of the mind and they want to uh, sound you out about it? How would they go about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, my Twitter is at P-L-O-E-H-M-A-N-N. Um, and yeah, as you said, I've pretty much answered everyone who's who's tweeted me um, and sometimes at a longer length than I think they were comfortable with but uh, yeah sometimes just want to get things across and, and yeah I've, I've got quite a few bits of information that um, thankfully you guys helped me uh, help me get out there in a, in a, in a palatable form but um, there's a lot of stuff that, that I've 
try to to um, to pick up on and, and over the last half year. That that um, so if you have a question, just shoot away. And uh, James, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks now since we've heard your dulcet tones in your uh, in your closet over in New York. Um, and obviously, you're 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 here this week. You're in the UK this week. We are off down to Brentford together on Sunday, which will be good. Um, will it be the week after that that you're likely to back back on the uh, Al's Americast? Uh, I, I don't know. I think um, you know when you get injured in uh, in this sort of kind of highly competitive podcasting world, or, or if you just go on vacation, you have to wait for your chances, don't you? So I'll be uh, I'll be I'll be training furiously. This is you know this has been an opportunity for me to try and warm up the vocal cords, and I'll hope that uh, then when I finally get back to Manhattan, which isn't for another two weeks, because uh, as you say, we're off to Brentford next weekend, which I'm really looking forward to. Last trip to uh, to Griffin Park. Um, and then, uh, then I've got to go to San Diego, so I'm going to try and hang out with uh, with Neil, our San Diego, if I can get hold of him. Um, I'll have to wait and see. If I get a call up, I'll be I'll be ready and raring to go. I won't be like Alman Abdi and uh, and on vacation somewhere sending Instagram photos. Um, but you'll uh, you'll have to to wait and see whether I ever make a reappearance. Um, I, I think it goes without saying that we will attempt to do some kind of social media stuff in um, in, in Brentford, which we attempted to do in Wolverhampton uh, at the back end of last season, but that, that just didn't work for a number of reasons, partly down to beer, partly down to issues with uh, with connection. But we'll yeah, we'll try and do some bits and bobs from Brentford on Sunday. And I mean this in the nicest possible way, guys, but I really hope that we don't have any cause to speak to each other until at least January now. You know, hopefully... <laughs> Hopefully, um, you know, it will be a, a, a couple of quiet months in terms of our uh, financial situation. If anything does change, we will reassemble and we will dissect it and try and figure it all out. Of course, if you want to follow the Wednesday week, we are at TWWcast, um, the Owls uh, Americast over at uh, at Owls Americas. Um, and um, yeah, we will see how the next few months pan out. And um, we will probably speak to you again in January. It's the 90th minute. You've got all your mates round. You've got your McNugget chair boxes coming down the left wing, ready to go. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget. Snatching all three points, back of the net. Lubosh! Automate delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com for more information. See you later! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.